Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Thank you much. It's uh, really great to be here. Uh, I've known uh, Pastor Matt and Pastor Mike for uh, many years, so it's a real honor for me to be here and see uh, them at the Bible Center Church. Um, I also want to thank those who came out on Friday night for a great discussion about Notre Dame football and theology. And then uh, yesterday, five hours of historical theology, how have we come to believe what we believe today. Uh, So I'm just so thankful for being here. Uh, The title of my sermon is Life in the Age of the Spirit. And my text is Romans 8, 1 to 25. I'll be reading it as we go along. But if you want to turn there, uh, let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds that we may receive your word and help us to learn to live in the power of the Spirit, in the age of the Spirit. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was growing up, okay, no laughter about that. This was back in the day. There was a popular song entitled The Age of Aquarius. Okay, we're connecting. It described the dawning of a time of love and peace, dreams and visions, mystic revelation, and the mind's true liberation. None of us knew exactly what that meant or how anyone could ever get there, though according to the song, apparently the moon had to be in the seventh house and Jupiter had to be aligned with Mars. Besides that, we were all pretty sure that this experience of the age of Aquarius was impossible without hallucinogenic drugs. But the song and the ideas all seemed cosmic and cool, particularly to teenagers. There was a good desire for a better experience in this life and a beautiful age to come. This morning, our passage reveals to us a different age, a real and present age, along with a guarantee of a future age of beautiful perfection a time of peace and love, revelations, and humanity's true liberation. It is called the age of the spirit. This age is also cosmic and cool. However, it's not dependent on hallucinogenic drugs or the location of the moon's house. Rather, it's dependent on the spirit of the living God. So I have three points this morning the age of the spirit, the spirit of the age, or the spiritual age, and the age to come. The context of my sermon this morning, I I want to ground this theologically, taking us back to the end of the fourth century and a confession of faith that was common in the early church. It goes like this. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. This is the early church's confession of the deity of the third person 
who is distinct from the first person and second person of the Trinity by virtue of his eternal procession from both the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit was not created by the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit doesn't become divine by borrowing the deity of the Father and the Son. Rather, the Holy Spirit is eternally dependent on the Father and the Son for his person of the Spirit. This unique characteristic distinguishes the Holy Spirit from the other two persons, from the Father and the Son. He is the creator, he is the recreator, and he is the perfecter of the works of God. He is fully divine in himself. He's equal with the Father and equal with the Son in terms of his nature and glory. He's not a shy God. He's not the hidden God. He's not junior God on the junior varsity team just longing to get onto the varsity team with the Father and the Son. He is fully God in himself. And so whatever we may affirm on the basis of Scripture about God the Father, we may also affirm about God the Son and about God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit always works together with the Father and the Son, with one will, with one power. As such, he is worshipped, adored, reverenced, prayed to, loved, served, obeyed, and trusted together with the Father and the Son. According to this early church confession, one of the particular works of the Holy Spirit is that of speaking. He spoke by the prophets. Indeed, we see often in Scripture when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on someone, that person engages in prophecy, praise, prayer, or preaching, because the Holy Spirit is the speaking God. In his divine speech act of writing scripture, the Holy Spirit says, Romans 8, 1-5, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This then is the theological context and the first part of Holy Spirit-inspired revelation that leads us to our first point, which is the age of the Spirit. The age of the Spirit in the, in the New Testament is also called the last days or the latter days. This is the period between the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And it is characterized by the presence, the power, the enablement, the guidance, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. This age is prepared for by the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. 
about 2,000 years ago, the Father, according to Paul here, sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So the eternal Son, about 2,000 years ago, became the incarnate Son, remaining fully God while becoming fully man. And as we know, his incarnation was a miracle brought about by the Holy Spirit. The purpose of this mission of the Son, again, back to Paul, in sending the Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh. God defeated sin and death through Jesus' death and resurrection. And again, note, from the moment of Jesus' conception, he was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. So the entirety of his life, his death, his resurrection, all of this was due to the indwelling Spirit and the Spirit's expansive and extensive empowerment of the incarnate Son of God. The result of this mission of the Son Again, according to Paul, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is the gospel and its truth of justification. We are not guilty. We are forgiven. We have a righteous standing before God as his people in and through Jesus Christ. The age of the Spirit is prepared for by the person and work of Jesus Christ. The age of the Spirit progresses through the person and work of the Holy Spirit. He is the eternal Spirit of God the Father and God the Son. And as we just said, the Spirit undergirded all of Christ's mission, all the way from its very beginning to its completion with the resurrection, three days after his crucifixion, the post-resurrection appearances, and Jesus' ascension back to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. Ten days after his ascension, ten days after the Son going back to heaven, the Father and the Son poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. This is one of the most significant events in the entire history of the world. The Father and the Son poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and thus began the new covenant, a new way that we, God's people, relate to him. The church of Jesus Christ was born and the age of the Holy Spirit was inaugurated. Not with a whimper, but with the sound of a mighty rushing wind not with tepid force, but with tongues of fire. Not with still talk, but with speaking in tongues, the proclamation of the mighty acts of God. Even today, at the moment when the gospel is grasped, at the moment of our conversion, Jesus Christ baptizes us, inundates us, we new believers with the Holy Spirit. He pours out the Holy Spirit on us when we are converted, and thus he incorporates us into the body of Christ, which is his church. 
And so the same Holy Spirit that was poured out on the day of Pentecost is the one who is poured out on us as we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And thus, as believers, we begin to live in the age of the Spirit. What characterizes this age? What is life in the age of the Spirit? Well, according to Paul, the Holy Spirit liberates. Paul writes, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are no longer slaves. We are no longer chained to anger and pride, lust, bitterness, hopelessness, and self-centeredness. We are no longer marching to death that spells eternal separation from God. We're free from the control of sin and death. Without the Holy Spirit, we were not free to choose. Now, with the Holy Spirit, we are free to yield to the control of the Spirit. Indeed, Paul continues, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Again, as Paul writes, by the Holy Spirit, we fulfill all the righteous requirements of God's law. We fulfill God's moral law for us. Through the resource of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we are enabled to meet and accomplish all the obligations of God. How do we obey God's commands? How do we respond rightly to his warnings? How do we avoid the prohibitions listed for us in Scripture? How do we trust the promises given to us in the Word of God? How do we offer genuine praise to God? How can we be full of thanksgiving even in the midst of COVID-19? Again, the Holy Spirit speaks to us with this answer, Romans 8, 4 to 7, verses 4 to 7. We walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. How then do we respond rightly to God? How do we obey his commands, trust his promises? We live according to the Holy Spirit. We set our minds on the things of the Spirit of God. Elsewhere, Paul commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Our focus our orientation, our all-captivating vision is directed toward the Holy Spirit. Key here is being led by the Spirit is not just being instructed by him. It's not just a cognitive matter. I know this to be the case. 
Uh, last year, my friend Andreas Kostenberger and I came out with a book, large book on the Holy Spirit. So for the last number of years, I have read many books. I've done much research. I've written a sizable amount of material on the Holy Spirit, and yet I am constantly perplexed why it remains so difficult for me to walk consistently in the Holy Spirit. It's more than just knowledge. It's being moved by the Spirit. It's being inclined, not principally, by our own will and desires, but being inclined by the impulse of the Holy Spirit. So we develop a disposition, a propensity, a posture of obeying, trusting, following, loving the Holy Spirit. Practically for me, this means when I tumble out of bed first thing in the morning, I cry out, Spirit, fill me. That cry of desperation says absolutely nothing about the day ahead. It doesn't say anything about the circumstances, the events, the relationships, the ministry. It doesn't say anything about what's going to happen that day, but it puts me in the right posture from the very beginning to be dependent on the person and power of the Holy Spirit. It's a posture of yieldedness to the Spirit. Furthermore, it does not mean that I decide the course of my day and then ask the Holy Spirit to bless my mess. He's not the potentiator of my agenda. Rather, I submit to following his lead. According to Paul, then, what is the fruit of living in the Spirit? Paul says, to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. To set the mind on the Spirit is to please God fully. Minding the Holy Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit, leads to bearing fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is life in the age of the Spirit. By contrast, number two, there is the spirit of the age, or the spiritual age. The spirit of the age is the worldview of the time and the culture in which we live, and it is as pervasive as the air that we breathe. The spirit of the age seeks to influence our thoughts, our minds. It seeks to drive our emotions, our feelings, our sentiments. It seeks to steer our consciousness, our choices, our decisions. It seeks to grip our motivations and our purposing, swaying our commitments. It seeks to affect our embodiment, our body image. And this influence, this drive, is never in the right direction. In our context, the spirit of the age is characterized by carefree autonomy. Let me be. I just want to be happy. It's characterized by the collapse of authority. No one can tell me what I need to do or don't need to do. 
It's characterized by the individualization of moral standards. It's my choice. It's characterized by relativism. How dare you judge me? It's characterized by anti-embodiment. Don't call me Paul. Call me Paula. A subset of the spirit of the age is the spiritual age. The majority of the people still in our society continue to consider themselves to be spiritual in some sense of that word. For example, Oprah Winfrey's spirituality. She believes that people are more than their physical selves. That's good. But she also believes that there are millions of ways to find and please God. The spiritual age is also exemplified by our friends and our neighbors getting in touch with their, their spiritual side through selective integration of various spiritualities like centering prayers, meditation, labyrinth walking, and so forth. Believers, not yet fully Christ-like and still sinful, live in this age of this in, live in this spirit of the age so both inside and outside there are strong detriments and deterrents to being fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ so people walk according to the flesh the sinful nature they set their minds on the things of the flesh. They live according to the flesh, the polar opposite of living according to the spirit. This is what characterizes this spirit of the age. The focus, the orientation, the all-encompassing vision becomes directed toward our, toward our flesh, obeying, trusting, following, loving, minding our sinful nature, and thus being absorbed, being influenced by the spirit of this age. According to, the Paul, to Paul, what are the works of this sinful nature? Well, instead of life, there's death. Instead of peace, there's hostility toward God. Instead of a life that fully pleases the Lord, there is a life that cannot please God. So we give ourselves over to thoughts of bitterness and we mull over anger and we rehearse the worst case scenarios in our minds. We ponder how our rights have been violated and so we plot revenge. We boast in our abilities, in our accomplishments. We pursue those of the complementary gender as sexual objects for self-gratification. This is minding the flesh. This is walking according to our sinful nature. And it leads to engaging in the works of the flesh. This is anti-life according to the spirit of the age. Good news, a good reminder is in Romans 8, 12 to 13, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We have no obligation to live according to our fleshly nature, our sinful nature. We can live in step with the Spirit. And so three, the age to come and the eschatological spirit. The age to come has future reference to the time and the return of Jesus Christ. It will be a period that will be characterized by an advancement on our, courage, our current age of the spirit, and there will be complete discontinuity with the spirit of the age, the spiritual age. Again, the Holy Spirit speaks about this age to come in verses 14 to 23. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified together with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him, God, who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Though the age to come is a future blessing, is a future reality, we are being prepared now for life in it then by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Notice the language Paul uses, the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, he talks about the Spirit as being a seal, a down payment, a deposit, a pledge, a guarantee. This is all language about the future. This is eschatological language, underscoring the present and perfecting work of the Holy Spirit to eventually usher in the fullness of personal salvation. We are led by this eschatological spirit. We experience his moral guidance. He directs us and empowers us to fulfill God's law and to please God fully now as we also look forward to and long eagerly for the age to come. Even now, according to Paul, we are assured of our future salvation by the inner witness, the spirit bearing witness with our spirit, you are children of God. We also possess what is called the spirit of adoption, by which we acknowledge God as Abba, Father. He is good, gracious. He is sovereign for us, especially when we fiercely suffer for Jesus' sake. 
the Holy Spirit reminds us then that we are heirs of Christ and we will be glorified in the age to come. What will life be like in the age to come? Whereas we experience salvation now in part, then we will experience salvation in full. Whereas now we experience victory over sin in part, then we will experience victory over sin in full. Whereas now we experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in part, then we will experience the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in full. Whereas now we experience the blessing of God in part, then we will experience the blessing of God in full. Such future fulfillment includes the redemption of our bodies. We are disembodied in the intermediate state between our death and the return of Jesus Christ. At death, we experience a separation of our material aspect and our immaterial aspect. Our body is sloughed off, and we continue as disembodied believers in heaven. We have an incomplete existence, even though we are in the presence of God, we still will long for, we will still anticipate the resurrection of our bodies, our glorification, the completion of our salvation. When Christ returns, we will experience a glorious re-embodiment as the Father who raised his son Jesus from the dead will also raise us up from the dead through the Holy Spirit. Importantly, this redemption, this liberation, this freedom pertains not only to people in the age to come. It features the renewal of all creation, which has been subjected to suffering and decay. Indeed, this present cursed creation yearns with eager anticipation of a future freedom, a freedom that is tied to the fullness of salvation that you and I will experience in the age to come. Conclusion, verses 24 to 25. Verses 24 to 25. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Today, let us hope as we walk in the Holy Spirit. Let us patiently and expectantly wait for the fullness of our salvation. Let us put to death our sinful nature and its desires. Let us live according to the Holy Spirit. Let's yield to his will, to his leading in our life. Let's not get sidetracked or be absorbed into the spirit of the age, but let us set our minds on the things of the spirit and be filled with his presence and his power. For we live in the age of the Spirit, and we long for the fullness of life in the Spirit in the age 
to come. Please join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you for this congregation, how you have called these wonderful people to yourself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that uh, I have friends here and that I have made new friends during this weekend. Lord, I pray your greatest blessing upon Bible Center Church. Uh, may these members, may the leaders of this church be consistently filled with the Holy Spirit so that we might please you in all things. We love you. We want to walk with the Spirit. We pray that you enable us to do so. In Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.